<sighs> All right, let's just go over for today's episode real quick. Uh, let's see, talking about Bioshock, City of Rapture, uh, Kevin Levine is a genius. Um, what are Big Daddy's like in bed? Obviously, the basic stuff. <sighs> what else do you got here? I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is this a quiz? Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? I mean, sure, I guess. No, says the man in Washington. It belongs to the poor. What guy in Washington? No, says the man in the Vatican. It belongs to God. Like the Pope? No, says the man in Moscow. It belongs to everyone. These are people you know? I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. So that a new Starbucks city order? where the artist would not fear the censor, where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality, Rob's where the great would not be constrained by the small. And with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. Welcome to 3VO. We're talking about Bioshock. Hey everybody, welcome to 3VO, where we're all on the same team. I'm Brendan, one of your hosts. And I'm the other one, Jordan. And if you're new here, we're just two big old nerds who love to share our love of video games. Specifically by highlighting and discussing our favorite moments, characters, missions, and quests. So if you too are a lover of video games, then this is the show for you. Today, we're going to be talking about the game Bioshock, but first, let's talk about what we've been up to. Uh, Jordan, what are you playing? Uh, right now, so one of the, something that happened, I don't know the exact uh, specificity of like the merger or the buyout or whatever, but all of the EA games are now on Game Pass yes. for Xbox. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, instead of playing anything that I should be playing for the podcast, I apologize. Um. I went through the first Mirror's Edge game, and I'm now going through Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which was a sequel, a highly underrated series of games. They were another another couple games that I love that weren't perfect, but were definitely really fun and very inventive. So that's what I've been doing, is looking at a whole new catalog of games. Nice. I, uh, I too, have also 100% uh, been totally diverging from what I should be playing for the podcast. <laughs> Because of the EA pass. Um, most notably, um, well, a couple. Um, do you recall? I don't know if you remember this game from like ancient times ago, but um, there was a computer game called Alice McGee's, or no, it was called um, Alice by um, American McGee. American McGee. And it was yeah, like yeah, a yeah. dark um, like telling of Alice. Well, there's a sequel, which I didn't mm-hmm. know about until I saw the EA pass stuff, and I was like, huh. So I started playing that. Um, but then also I downloaded this cozy sim game called Spirit Fairer. Basically, you run a boat and you're like the new ferryman and you ferry spirits to the to the uh, like other side. Huh. It's so cute, so cozy. Um, yeah, basically you like you wake up in the beginning of the game and um Karan, the like ferryman to the underworld, is like, hey. You're going to be the new spirit fair now. Bye, kid. And, like, goes to the other side. It just bounces. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And you have to, um, like, get a boat and you start collecting spirits. And they're all these, like, different animal spirits. And you have to, like, 
like us like uh, attend their needs and stuff and until they're ready to cross to the other side and then you take them to the other side it's 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 really cute it's kind of sad honestly sounds like it yeah um but it's great you can you can make food for them and you can fish and you can hmm. hug the spirits it's great <laughs> was it is this an ea game that came out with the whatever like the um thing was, i'd or? have to double check i don't know if i just saw it while i was perusing all of the new games or if it's specifically ea um i'd have to double check but it's very very fun <laughs> Okay, but okay. Regardless of EA, it, it is one of the new like Game Pass. I think free so. Games. Yeah, it's definitely one of the free games. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I mean, it sounds like it hits like all of like the sort of like indie developer tick boxes. You know, like it's 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 an interesting concept. It's a little sad. You know, it's just it's everything mm-hmm. you need in that sort of weird indie title. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I would recommend it if you're a fan of like cozy simulation games like that. Those aren't normally my speed. Sometimes they hit me just right and I get into them, but um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, normally I need a little bit. I get why people like them. It's it's, it's just a personal thing. I need a little I bit hear more, you. otherwise I fall No, asleep. I totally hear you. You have to be the right personality. I, I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Um. Well, uh, that's what we've been up to. So let's dive into what we're here to talk about. Bioshock. All right, everybody. So it's time to actually start talking about what we're here for, and that's Bioshock. I want to start by saying, spoiler alert, like spoilers ahead. If you haven't played this game, like stop everything that you're doing. Like if you're going to play it, stop everything you're doing. Don't watch this podcast. Go play it, then come back. There's literally no way to talk about this game without spoiling it the first note i have from the intro of the game is a huge spoiler for the rest of the game (laughs) um yeah so uh, honestly like just just stop what you're doing if you're gonna play it even thinking about playing bioshock um i mean it has been out for like 13 years so like go play it um but if you don't want to be ruined on it stop right now you've been warned the, the, the full, like, remastered set for all three Bioshock games is, like, 10 bucks right now on Xbox Live. And pr- yes. I'm assuming a similar price for PlayStation or Steam. So if you haven't done it yet, do yourself a favor and pick it up. Because no matter what, it's an excellent game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, that being said, hopefully everybody has left <laughs> that hasn't played it yet. And we can actually start diving into the juicy details. So, um, Bioshock was a game that came out in 2007. It's a it's in the first person shooter uh, genre of games, and basically you are playing Jack, who has crash landed in uh, from a plane in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and you've stumbled ac- upon the utopian city of Rapture, which is at the bottom of the ocean, um, and it's all fallen apart. Basically, you have to fight your way out. Um, from this, like, 1950s-themed utopian society um, that has just completely gone to shit. <laughs> there's, um, there's, a, there's a fun quote. I, I, I fell into a fun hole on YouTube where I was just watching interviews with uh, the game director and creator. Of, um, <laughs> just want to make sure I have it correctly. Uh, Kevin Levine, because I've been <laughs> screwing up and calling him Ken whenever I started my notes on stuff. <laughs> you know, know, Ken. Why. Ken. No, Ken. You know, just We're Ken. good friends, you know. Yeah, Ken. you're good pals. <laughs> but, um... I was watching a thing where they asked him like where the inception of the game came from for him. And to paraphrase, basically he said he wanted to take um, Anne Rand's philosophies and apply them to a realistic setting. <laughs> that makes so much sense. <laughs> right? Doesn't it? 
And it's just, it's, uh, this is my biggest thing for this one. Like to me, as far as any other video game out there to make the argument about whether video games are art or not, I think this one probably has to be at the top in a certain sense. I get it's done by a big developer and a lot of people don't like that. Um, and there are games that are quote unquote prettier or maybe structured a little bit better, but just for coming in and sort of really making a statement about society and being a social commentary as far as like a piece of media goes, that's where Bioshock beats a lot of other things out there, I feel like. Yeah, undoubtedly, because the whole time you're playing through the game, you know, meeting your like goals and everything, there's all of this like yikesy society stuff sprinkled in and you're just like man no wonder it all fell apart down here yeah 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 his 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 argument for it is um just to go and do the quote a little bit here um uh what i was trying to do with bioshock was to say okay well an atlas shrugged by the nan ran book um that was that's a utopia where Anne ran who made the philosophy made all the rules and all the characters were under her control what if things weren't under everybody's control? Essentially, actually inserting the human element into that type of like utopian philosophy where everything works fine and everything's perfect. Right, exactly. What actually happens? Because that's, um, so through, throughout the game, um, you, as you start, you're not really aware uh, of what happened down here. You're just kind of thrown into this, you know, post-apocalyptic situation in this, what was supposed to be a utopia at the bottom of the sea. Um, and it was like a society cordoned off from the rest of the world that had its own rules, its own thing. It was kind of like its own like city state, I suppose mm -hmm. you could say. Um, and you're kind of trying to piece together exactly what happened as the main character throughout the entirety uh, of the story. And what you find out is that like everything was cool for like a little while. And then because there were no rules, everything went way off track. Um, and there was just, there was no oversight, essentially, uh, is what happened, you know, everybody was allowed to do whatever the hell they wanted to, um, in the way of, like, genetic engineering, and uh, industry, and, like, just lots of different things, and everything falls apart. So don't it's, do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a game I wish I could play again for the very first time, because in the beginning of the game, you, you, you like Brennan says, you're playing Crash Lance, you walk into this lighthouse and you end up in this thing called a bathysphere, which is essentially just a one-way transportation to Rapture from the surface. Um, and as you're going down all the different fathoms, you see these like ads going by for Rapture. And it's like, it's typical stuff, like like um, like a poster for the, your main um, antagonist, Andrew Ryan, and a bunch of other stuff. And there's one that just is talking about telekinesis. Yes. So there's a small moment <laughs> where you're first time playing, you're going, wait, what? <laughs> Absolutely. Or um, even like in that first kind of main area that you get to, um, there's a, an ad for like electro bolts. And it's like mm -hmm. this like dad and he's like holding a kid and the kid is like touching the light bulb and the light bulb's illuminating. And you're just like, oh, what? <laughs> to go back real quick to the very, very beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. So like we said, it starts off uh, with your character, with the character Jack um, on a plane right before a crash lands. Did you catch the note on his gift that he pulls out? 
yes um so and and we're kind of getting to the to the end of the story here i just we we don't have to talk about it too 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 much right now i just want to know if you caught that because it was the first time i'd ever caught that right so my this replay that i just did for the podcast was the second total time that i've ever played it so it would have been the first time that i would have understood the significance of what you're referring to um and it is like the first instance of that phrase um do yeah. we just want to talk about it <laughs> we, sh- we we really should at the gate because like we, we already warned people about spoilers and stuff like that so then let's jump to the end a little bit explain it and then we can work our way back so yeah. um if you haven't played the game and you're still listening basically you find out that you are like a a sleeper agent essentially you were born in rapture and you were set to activate essentially when a certain activated like phrase was uttered to you um and the phrase is would you kindly and at the very beginning of the game there's a note that is on this package that you're holding and it says would you kindly on it so it's like it's it's one of those things that you wouldn't catch the first time you play but definitely is rewarding the second third fourth time you play this game um it's just one of those little things it's it's to me i I wrote it down later in my notes but just like the twist for this game that we've already given away sorry we just we couldn't avoid it there's no way to avoid it in talking about (laughs) um but to me it is akin to the twist at the end of of the sixth sense of finding out uh if we're spoiling everything (laughs) people i won't mention that most people know what the hell i'm talking about but like to me it's on that level because it's it's a good twist isn't something that is just like shocking once and then when you watch it or play something again you're just like oh okay so that was just for the shock value of it it makes it more interesting like going through and playing bioshock again and looking for those hints and those clues which are there and they're all over the place they're everywhere in the game absolutely it makes it it's still it's still worthwhile to play through it again even though you know the big twist at the end Mm -hmm. absolutely because even some of the like intricacies in um the diaries like how they're like dropping the narrative throughout is mm-hmm. like really like it's crazy to have that lens on it after having played the game once and reviewing those things because you're just like oh oh you know <laughs> um it's true and and definitely with the the big twist at the end ab absolutely <laughs> and the reveal of it is so good it's just it's so good the way that they have the reveal for it the whole moment with, with, with you and andrew uh, ryan i mean just uh, like do we want to jump in and start talking about characters then since we're kind of so just to provide some context for anybody who's still here that hasn't yes. played the game basically you you as the main character you get dropped into rapture you have no idea what's going on this guy contacts you he says hey my name is atlas i don't know how you got down here but like i'm trying to get out too and let's work together. I gotta save my wife and my child, and they're over here. Let's work together. And you never see him, um, but basically he helps lead you along um, because the most of the residents of Rapture have gone crazy and are out for blood and yada yada. You get the idea. Yeah. Um, it's revealed later on that Atlas is not your friend and actually... Um, had activated you for the sleeper agent essentially that you were um and had you go kill who you thought was the main antagonist in the game but really wasn't and then atlas reveals himself to be the big bad antagonist who was against the other guy the whole time and then you have to go find and kill him because now he's trying to like 
shut you down, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's some framework. Sure. Some framework for the people who may not know. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I got you. And then uh, Atlas is so good. Again, obviously, with it within the name itself as a reference to more of the Anne Rand world of literature exactly. and whatnot. Uh-huh. And even within the character itself, because he's this... As Atlas, this ultra altruistic, just wants to help, just wants to save Rapture, wants to save his family type of character, which is littered throughout everything that Anne Rand does. Um, I just... Uh, I, 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 this is another one of the ones where it's just like it's the problem with the podcast but I love it it's just like I just I love this game so much <laughs> just everything about it was so incredibly well thought out what What do you mean problems this podcast doesn't have problems <laughs> <laughs> there's no problems here <laughs> zero problems within this podcast <laughs> But um, but within that one, the, the what would you are led to believe as the main uh, villain of the game, which is a character named Andrew Ryan, who is the person who established, uh, created uh, Rapture. Also, um, looks like also really really just to, to me looks like Walt Disney and Citizen Kane ha- um, ha- had like a love child. Why are you right? <laughs> I mean, look at him. He looks like that's what he looks like. <laughs> We need a picture of him, like, on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> to, like, put it up and tell me I'm wrong. Put it up and tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. No, you're not. That's that's the sad thing. <laughs> um, so uh, we were we were starting to talk about the moment with Andrew Ryan where you finally get to him. Yes. Um, and So you finally get to the guy, and you think it's, like, towards the end of the game. You're like, cool, I'm going to get the big bad guy, and then I'm going to grab my buddy Atlas, and we're going to get out of here. And all's well that ends well. And you get there, and Andrew Ryan is like, actually, you're a sleeper agent, and you've been activated, and this is your activation phase, and now I can actually control you a bit. And then basically orders you to kill him. Yeah. Self. Yeah. You, he, 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 t- he tells you to kill him and then you bash his head in with a golf club. A little bit, a little, little bit. bit, not a little while, bit, quite a bit, while, actually. While telling you that you haven't made any free choices and you are essentially a slave. At all. And the whole game that everything you've done has been by design and by the creator, which I also think is like a weird commentary on video games itself as a concept. <laughs> a little bit, huh? Yeah. Just like, you don't just, because if you don't move. If you don't move forward with what the game wants you to do, then nothing fucking happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that whole moment is is so, so crazy because it's not, nothing that you could have expected the first time you played through that game. Nothing at all. Because yeah, you've yeah. had no, no indication at all that things weren't exactly as you thought that they were which is why which is why i think master master shock why bioshock is so masterful because everything seems totally like face value like you're like yeah atlas is my guy and like functionally as a as like a video game because it's hard to like disconnect that a little bit functionally well while you're playing as like a video game player you're like oh this is just the guy that tells me what to do and gives me missions. Like, this is that function. And you kind of don't look past it at a certain point. Um, so to have that completely, like, you know, pull, that rug pulled out from under you is so jarring. 
it, it, it is a great use of just like of just like using established expectations within a certain medium in order to trick somebody essentially yeah yeah but in the absolutely. best way and absolutely the best way but yeah but you're right like every it would kind of be like playing through the entirety of ocarina of zelda and then finding out that navi was ganondorf the whole time <laughs> ocarina of time but yes <laughs> what what did i say ocarina what did I say? you said ocarina of zelda Look, I don't play the Zelda games. I just had to defend my turf a little bit. It's fine. (laughs) Fair enough. enough. All right, Brennan, tell us more about Master Shock. (laughs) Rude. Um, But... (laughs) So, um, now there's not too many characters that are, like, actually on your side by the end of the game there's like i think one but what are your what are some of your characters that you like love to hate love to hate i'm a very big fan so throughout the game you also get these essentially each stage sort of has its own i think with one exception each stage sort of has its own mini boss that you well its own boss that you kind of have to fight to get past Mm -hmm. and move into the next area and whatnot Mm -hmm. um my personal favorite, just because of how involved he is with the whole area and just like that, the character type is so good to me. Um, Sander Cohen, yes, is a big one for me. He's this insane artist. I don't know how else to put it, but he's this. It's again, it's it's the whole free reign idea. There are no rules. You could do whatever you want. And then what do people do without those rules set in place? They end up going to the extreme, and Sander Cohen has gone to such an extreme. That when you first meet him, part of his introduction is telling this man who is basically tied to a piano to keep playing again and again and again. And when he doesn't do it right, he blows him up. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I think that's one of the things that Bioshock does really well is character introductions. Like, you know exactly who these people are within, like, ten seconds of meeting them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um like well okay with the notable with the notable um exception of like atlas but um uh yeah uh sander cohen is a great example um because you you totally totally get that he is just totally postal uh steinman the doctor doctor too, steinman is fascinating i'm that, fascinated by steinman oh man that introduction to him is so visceral and like and he's like the first boss i would say right of the game yes, definitely um and to just come face to face with this like doctor who essentially was like um what's the word like a plastic surgeon i suppose <laughs> um at the time uh just to see him like gone completely off the deep end he's got people hanging above his workstation in like cross poses flesh dripping off of them like Whoa! You knew exactly like you know from that point on. Like I'm not dealing with anybody who's on planet Earth anymore. Hung up as like his examples of failure as a doctor and as a surgeon because yeah. he's just like this one's too fat, this one's too tall. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, like, ugh. and they all look exactly the same. And it's, <laughs> like yeah, there's it's no difference. Yeah. So which is like, yeah, game design limits on budget. You know, which one are we? <laughs> Uh, I'd like to think that it's a choice. <laughs> probably. At this point with the, with the remaster, it was probably a choice. <laughs> On that note too, though, I just, it's something I wrote down quite a few times while replaying this game. It's just that like this, the voice acting cast is superb in this game. Whoever these, I, I didn't dive too deep. There weren't a lot of, uh, in the voice acting world in particular, not a lot of like big names 
in this one that I was able to recognize, um, mm-hmm. but just stellar cast, stellar performances all around. Not a missed beat in anything, including the hundreds of little diaries that you can find throughout the game. So just Ugh, yeah, and that's something that'll kick me out of a out of a video game in particular real quick. Oh yeah, it's just the voice acting. Bad It'll voice turn acting me off so fast. I hear you. I hear you because that or just that... voice acting where the tone is wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um. Yeah, no, nothing will kill a game faster, I think. Um, yeah, so um, so we talked about some characters that we don't like. Um, the only character I think you do like by the end of the game would have to be Dr. Tannenbaum, yeah? Yeah, and even she's like, if you know her story, she's kind of <gasps> iffy too. Little iffy. Uh, she doesn't... Ap- helping you though? she does well i mean if if you make the right choices <laughs> true um, she's the character that's on the redemptive storyline arc throughout the game basically she's the one that designs that um is responsible for designing the what's called the little sisters in the game which are i don't know how else to put it but sort of weird cute little drug mules <laughs> i think you have to elaborate a little bit <laughs> <laughs> No problem, because we haven't talked about this either no, yet. No, we so haven't, within, yeah. So, so within the game, there's a substance called Adam. And again, don't know how else to put it, but like Adam is sort of like if meth gave you magical powers. <laughs> I think you're oversimplifying, but yes. <laughs> oversimplifying, yes, but it is something that you... It, it is it is a substance that you could take within the game that allows you to do things like shoot electricity out of your hands, set people on fire, um, control the security equipment within your area, take control over... Um, people or machines within the area to help you out and stuff like that. It is, um, it, but it's 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 sort of like if if the force was used as a drug and it and it had horrible side effects when you used it too much. Because mm-hmm. that's part of the fall of the, that's part of the downfall of Rapture is that people become addicted to this substance and start killing each other for it. And the little sisters are sort of I don't want to say caught in the middle of that because they're part of the system itself, but mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. A, th- that's it then. They're just like they're, they're a part of the system that's been set up within Rapture. Right. So, um, yeah, and Adam, too, um, like, part of what they say about it in in the diaries that you collect, I think it's something that Tenenbaum says in one of her diaries, is, like, once we started using Adam, you just had to, like, get more and more to help address the side effects of it. So it became, like, this, like, any other kind of addiction. It's, like, you just need more and more and more uh, mm-hmm. for it to be effective. Um, and they also use it to, um, they, they liken it to like, um, clay or putty. Like Steinman talks about it being like clay because he uses it to help address the, um, like plastic surgery things that he was up to down in Rapture. Um, and yes, so the little sisters, um, the little sisters in the game walk around with these big hulking, um, guys called big daddies and the little sisters, um, extract Adam from bodies around Rapture. Yeah. <laughs> and Tenenbaum... Their, their entire purpose, oh. that's all they do. So they, is that they are driven by the collection of Adam from people that have died. Right. And Tenenbaum is the doctor that was behind the creation of the Little Sisters. And also partially responsible for the creation of our main character as well. Oh, right, which is revealed like uh, later in the game. But yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there, there's nothing. There's nothing in this game that doesn't, in some way, somehow tie into the other one. And just uh, it's again the the storytelling in this game is masterful. It's so insanely good. Um, 
Tenenbaum is a character that I really like, though, because it's, again, I do like the sort of redemptive storyline arc. I like the idea of, I, I just, I love the character that's sort of on the path to redemption. And we come in in the middle of that for her, of her, the first moment you meet her is her trying to keep you from taking the atom from the little sisters, which is why the big daddies exist in order to protect the little sisters because they collect all the atom. And there's mm -hmm. obviously what um, becomes called splicers, which is the common term for the addicts of Adam within Rapture that are constantly trying to get to it. And uh, the first time you meet her, she is now trying to protect another little sister from you. But Alice explains that this is... It's a little messed up that now she decides she wants to protect these children because it's yeah. like, you made this happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. You kind of were responsible for this a little bit. Yeah. Which does make it interesting in the first choice because the, there's a bit of a choice element within this game of that when you do find a little sister and you get her away from the big daddy protecting her because you can't just get her away sister. from him. Well, okay. You kill, <laughs> you kill the big daddy in order to save, in order to get to the little sister there. Um, you have the choice to harvest her for, for her atom or you can rescue her and only take and essentially take a smaller portion of the atom that you would have gotten had you harvested her. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that leads to um, one of actually three endings. I found out there's three endings. Yeah. Um, but basically, um, if you if you do the, the right, quote unquote, right thing and rescue all of the little sisters, then you get the good, quote unquote, ending. Um, and if you harvest any of them, then you get one of the two bad endings, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the the two bad endings aren't really very different from each other. It's the same dialogue. It's just that one has like a saddish undertone and one is more angry. Um, but it's essentially the same ending. Yeah. Um, and then the good ending is like, you save all the little sisters and you return them to the surface. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just, just want to say real quick for the quote unquote good choice. One, you literally kill them for the atom. The other one, you turn them back into like regular ish kids. So I don't think we're in the realm of like, quote unquote, good choice or not here, Brandon. I didn't know how bad it was because I've never killed a little sister. <laughs> I've oh, they're, never they're harvested. Dead. They're gone. Really? They're gone. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah, never yeah, had yeah. the heart. <laughs> it's not in. It's not in the first one, but in the second one, in, in Bioshock Two, and they might talk about it a little bit in one of the diaries, but. You find out that Adam is extracted from these like sea slugs that they slugs, find at these certain yeah. the slugs they find at certain depths. Um, in Bioshock Two, the animation when you harvest the sisters is that they turn into the slugs and then you crush them in your hand. I don't like that. Yeah, I know it's brutal. It's messed up. It's messed up. I don't like that. But obviously, to cover again, as anybody who has been listening would know from our Mass Effect One conversation. Um, You'd probably be able to assume the choices that me and Brandon made in this instance. <laughs> instance. I, I I also did not. I, I didn't I harvest can't. them. I can't. I can't. I've done it. I did. I did a run once ages ago where I did go through and harvest little sisters um, and hurt my soul because it's it's just you're killing little kids. That's what you're doing in the game. If you go that route, that's essentially what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's. Yeah, and plus the game balances out anyway because it's like, like, like I said, just like you get a little, you get a bit less atom if you if you rescue them versus harvesting them, but, but then they also they also bring you like two hundred something more atom. Exactly, later on. I was gonna say that's the thing. Like every three or so little sisters that you save, they bring you a gift package of like first aid kits and 
something else usually, and then Adam, like tons of Adam, like 200 Adam, which wait, which more than makes up for the difference in harvesting versus rescuing. So I I, I don't know about you, but by the time I got to the last fight in the game, I was pretty fucking op for it yeah no absolutely i i got to the point in the last playthrough where i'm like i don't even know what to spend my atom on i've got so much of it and i don't need any more fucking engineering plasmid slots (laughs) like (laughs) i was like i'm i'm good and like there's like four plasmids that i like to roll with combat wise anyway so i'm fine right um that so that brings up an interesting question so like what um what what's your rollout like what's your favorite like couple of plasmids to uh roll with and then like what like what heat are you packing i honestly i was pretty standard on this run and that might have been because i was trying to get not that i didn't enjoy playing it again but i was trying to get through the story mainly and like take notes on like the primary stuff but i rolled pretty much just like the three basics um i had fire ice electricity and that was about all i that's i found that's all i really needed um i occasionally used the big daddy hypnosis move for my plasmids mm. and then other than that just like anything that made hacking easier or the security detection like slower that was mm-hmm. about all i rolled with that's about what i tried to do anyway mm-hmm. what about in the way of like artillery like what do you um like what? What are your favorite like um, guns to roll with? Oh, uh, the particularly I'm, I'm I'm a fan of it in most games. The shotgun in this game is particularly devastating. The shotgun's yes. very good. Yes. It has way more range than it should have for a shotgun. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember just standing like just a mile away from a big daddy, just blasting away and still doing a decent amount of damage to it. Absolutely. Other than that, that um, I ran with. with with the machine gun a lot mm-hmm. um by the end i used the crossbow quite a bit but that was mostly to set up traps really oh okay, okay yeah mostly for traps i didn't i only ever used the crossbow on its own in a battle if i was completely out of ammo for my shotgun or mm, my machine gun that's fair that about which it. which happens sometimes it does happen it yeah. does happen if you're going through i i went through it on easy mm. um which i wouldn't recommend it makes it a little bit if you're trying to enjoy the game it makes it a little bit too easy and you kind of mm. the game sort of relies on a bit more of a higher difficulty curve in my opinion oh. um, so i'd always recommend going on medium at the very least mm-hmm. um but yeah what about you what were uh, what, what did you roll with primarily uh very similar um the winter blast um incinerate and electrobolt um and then telekinesis also because there's sometimes where you're like i need to get that thing over there <laughs> okay got it <laughs> um also it's really fun if you're like low on um ammunition to just like pick stuff up and chuck it at things because it did way more damage than it should have i think it's true it's true <laughs> telekinesis is a good one for just being like i just need to get this guy away from me <laughs> yeah pretty Basically. much just throwing um, shit at him and then um definitely shotgun because it's overpowered um machine gun especially with the anti-personnel rounds because that was like so good. Yes. And if you upgraded the damage on the machine gun, like, forget about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then also, like, for setting traps, I went with the grenade launcher and, like, proximity mines. Because okay. that, that, I found that, like, easier to deal with, with, like, um taking out the big daddies. 
Um, you okay. just like line up some proximity mines, and then you back up a ways, and then you're like, pew, and he's like, and walks through all of your proximity mines. Oh, okay. See, I always had fun fighting the big daddy, so maybe that was it. Just oh. like, not that I didn't, I just like, I definitely didn't think of it. Maybe because I just had too much fun, just like blasting away at him. And no, I did not like that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Hey, different, like, different like playstyles. Yeah, yeah. No, the big daddies will fuck your day up for sure. That's no lie. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. which, uh, if anybody needs the physical description for him, um, there's different iterations throughout the game, but the most popular version of the big daddy is sort of. Picture like an old school scuba diver, but like chunkier. stockier, yeah. chunkier, <laughs> and one of his hands just has a giant drill on it. That's it. That's a big daddy. Yeah. And they just run around with these tiny little girls, keeping them safe. Let's get a picture of that on the screen, too. Here's a big daddy. Yes. Yeah, that is a big daddy right Ooh. there. Ooh, look at it. <laughs> Apologies to audio listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. This is a podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm bad at my job. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you are not bad at your job at all, sir. Uh, so what are some of your favorite moments from Bioshock? Because I have a few. Yeah, no, me too. Um, the, the, the big, honestly, just like the big, especially playing through it again now and having, having been a fan of all of the other um, Bioshock S games and kind of knowing the bigger world layout that, uh, that, that, that uh, Kevin Levine uh, sets up in a certain sense. I love the beginning. I just, I love the beginning of that game from the plane crash all the way through getting into the bathosphere and then to the introduction to Rapture itself and then coming up and having that, uh, your introduction beyond the beginning game, your first intro to Rapture essentially watching a man getting um <laughs> gutted by a splicer it's just it sets up the game so well it just sets it up really well and mm-hmm. i just mm-hmm. that that's a big moment for me because with within the first five minutes of the game you understand what the game is doing you understand the theme of it and you at the very least understand what you're going to be trying to do throughout the game which is escape rapture yep and it does it and it sets the and it sets everything up without a giant title card showing up on the screen or a ton, like the dialogue is brilliant. And I love the dialogue and the writing in the game, but without like just a ton of exposition that goes on for way too long, like some games do. And it's just, it's so clever and it's so smart. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say the intro of the game is probably one of my favorite parts. And then, um, <laughs> and then a moment that is gut wrenching at first and then infuriating on the second playthrough, which is the bathosphere yeah. explosion. I'd say yes. about, Yes. I don't know, like maybe 30, 40% way through the actual storyline of the game. Yeah, You're not quite that, halfway through at that point? No, yeah, not quite. No, that sounds about right. Yeah, no, that whole moment. Um, again, Atlas has been leading you along um, up until this point and saying like, oh, we've got to go. I, I got to get my wife and my child out of here. They're in this bathosphere over in blah, 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 blah. Like, we got to go save them. And you get, like, through all of this. You're fighting off enemies. You're killing bosses. You know, you're doing the whole thing. You're like, I'm going to save the family. And <laughs> you get in there and you, um, you like, do what you have to do to, like, release the bathosphere or whatever. And then um, splicers start crawling down the walls and, like, heading toward the bathosphere. And it's all chaos. And then you're running down to get them. And then the bathosphere explodes. And, and it's heart-wrenching. You're absolutely right. It's, like, 
heart-wrenching. Because you're convinced there's a yeah. woman and child inside of this thing that mm-hmm. just got killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then later on, after it's revealed that Atlas is not who he said he was, and that was all totally fictitious... He makes a point out of saying, huh, I really got you with that wife and child, but oh, my poor wife and child. And it's just like, I didn't need that. The turn from Atlas to Fontaine also needs to be talked about just in terms of the game itself and just brilliant performance in general that like, because it's Atlas in the game as is portrayed is Irish. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, the, the character is Irish and has a very, very lovely, charming Irish accent throughout the game. And then right before he reveals himself to be Fontaine, he just has this take where he just has this... I'm not going to attempt the accent, but I mean, he does this like, nice work, boyo, and you're just like, fuck. It's yeah. <laughs> so the moment it comes, you're like, ah, oh, no, this is the turn. Ah, oh, shit. You still don't quite know what the turn is until he reveals that he is this other character named Frank Fontaine, who you've also gotten little nuggets and notes mm-hmm. about throughout the game and whatnot mm-hmm. as essentially being, um, whereas Andrew Ryan is sort of a corporate, um, enemy and villain of the game. He is sort of the, I'm trying to remember. It's, Oh God, it's, it's, um, historical figure. Um, freaking um, famous bootlegger from the old days. They just did a movie about him. With oh, you um, um, Capone, oh. Al Capone. Oh, Al Capone, yeah. Yeah, sort of an Al Capone sort of um, surrogate within the game as he's like working within, is on a surface level, it seems sort of altruistic because he's like working with the unions and trying to get workers' rights and, you know, uh, standing up against the corporate chill that is Andrew Ryan and blah, 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 blah. But it's, in reality, the guy's a mobster, like basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Who came to Rapture because he saw an area that he could exploit. Yeah. Yeah. Real stand-up guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. What an absolute gem. <laughs> yeah. Um, One of my other favorite moments is... <laughs> it's... And only because it's so off the track of what has been happening up until the point. But mm-hmm. the introduction to Sander Cohen, where... <laughs> you're going to the, to the bathosphere to, like, go to the next area to get to where andrew ryan is and the game is just like nope actually (laughs) first you've got to deal with this fucko hold on real quick we've got one last bit of insanity we gotta throw in yeah and the like just to paint a picture you're heading through this like art deco like you know world and you're heading to this bathosphere to get down to the next area and the bath bathosphere descends Pink curtains come out, the lights change to purple, and these, like, statues on ropes descend from the sides, and this, like, statue of um, the rabbit ear mask that is a big icon in the game comes up behind from where the bathosphere was, and you're just like, what the shit is going on now? I think I I I figured out a good way to sort of describe Sander Cohen as a character. Take Salvador Dali, but give him the appetites of Ed Gein. What? <laughs> oh, you're not a true crime fan. Um, Ed Gein was a famous serial killer who um, would dig up bodies or kill people and then use their uh, his skin to make clothing or furniture and stuff in his house. <laughs> oh, 
okay. Yeah. American Horror Story season two. <laughs> that guy. Sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Gotcha. A very, a very macabre um, artistic taste. Yeah. To put it plainly. <laughs> very much. Yeah. Um, which is so. Yeah. Which is so juxtaposed by the like showmanship that he has and the like pink, pinkish purple pallor he likes to put on the. You know, it's so like so um, cognitive dissonance there. It's true. It's true. And again, it's just like we talked about it before. Just such a fascinating character. So interesting mm. to go through. That whole area is one of my favorite stages in general. Yeah. Even though it completely derails you from the main story. Completely. Because that whole section could not be there and the game would still survive. Yeah, like, but I still, but and normally that would ruin a game for me, but I love it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just so interesting. I think that's, I think that's the thing about it. It's just like, I'm sure there was probably an argument in the development process where it was like, this doesn't need to be here necessarily. But there was just the argument. I was like, yeah, but this is like one of the more, not that anything else in the game was like boring necessarily, but this is definitely one of the more interesting parts of the game is going through the whole like Sander Cohen stage of like all the different areas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And incredible game design, like level design for that whole thing too. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what i was gonna say i think part of what makes it so interesting is that like the other parts of the game were like kind of big bigger idea areas like the garden or um like residential area or whatever and Mm. this specific part was like um it was like uh like shopping it was like a mall essentially and it was kind of cool to see that like snapshot of like you could imagine people like walking through here and like seeing a live show at the amphitheater and mm-hmm. getting clothing and like buying cigars, the tobacco import, you know, there was just a lot of like things there that made it more real. It's, it, it's something that Bioshock, uh, Mass Effect, and to me, uh, Dead Space, which is another game we're gonna have to play, by the way, for the podcast. Sorry, Brendan. Um, it, that they all have these. <laughs> They all do a very good job of establishing a world that feels like people live in it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Like Rapture, as dilapidated as it is, it feels lived in. Yeah. yeah. And that's a really cool feeling to get across in a game. I love that about it. Just a, 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 Yeah, but kind of in line with the Sandra Cohen thing of just like a very interesting part of the game is that the game puts you in a spot storyline-wise in which that you have to become a big daddy. And it takes you through... I don't know how they get around what happens afterwards. I don't know if they quite address it. Um, If you get out of this suit, if things change. But essentially, um, you have to find all the different parts of what the Big Daddy wears. You have to get your vocal cords readjusted. And then you have to get hit with a specific pheromone that attracts the little sisters to the Big Daddy. Um, it's It's just another prime example of like you're very clearly playing a video game as you have these established, you have, you have your established quests and the little like stages you have to get through to get to it. But it never feels like minutia. It never feels like bullshit in the game. If it, it, it all is served to a purpose of the overall storyline to it. Um, and that's one of my favorite. And that's one of my favorites. Cause it's just, it's, you see the steps that lead to it and it's all very clear. And it, 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 it you step outside of it, it probably wouldn't make any sense. But in the world of the game itself, this feels like the only choice and the only option. And that's what I appreciate about it. And again, another... The, the game is another... This game is another prime example of something that invites exploration. 
and that even though they, these are main quest ideas, it invites you to sort of go, hey, what's that door over there? You should go check that out real quick and like run around. And, well, maybe you need to go this way. No. Oh, well, look, there's a recording down here. Check that out, too. Oh, look, more plasmid options. <laughs> so that's just that's just one of my biggest like favorite moments in the game is the whole becoming the big daddy sequence. Definitely. It's um it's definitely different. Um it's it's one of those things where you're like, I think I'll know roughly how this'll go, and then it doesn't quite go the way that you think it will. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's true. That like when you true. get like your vocal cords change and that's basically just like a <laughs> to your throat. <laughs> this game is dark. Yeah. Like it is a it is a very morbid game. <laughs> Definitely. Do you think that the main character's vocal cords were forever changed? Or do you think that Tenenbaum was like, here, drink this Adam real quick and you'll be fine? I don't know. Like, it has to be, right? It has to be. I have no clue. I really have no idea. Something I've always asked is like, well, what? Because you... Just based on the look of the game, you lose the helmet after all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Uh, let us let us know what you think happened yeah. to the main character's vocal cords after the events of Bioshock. Um, the only downside for me in the game, honestly, is the last fight, and that's only because if you go in really OP, it's kind of a it's, it's not kind of a cakewalk. It's kind of a cakewalk. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Even though it's it's, the, it's so basically the end of the game. Uh, Fontaine after the big reveal has now has access to all of the collected atom within rapture at this point and this and uses it to as he puts it himself to attempt to make himself like a god pretty much <clears throat> and then your job at the end of the game is to go and basically take all the atom back away from him so he doesn't have these insane powers pretty much mm-hmm. and the fight itself is set up to where it it, it, it is it's a basic fight. You're, you you fight them in like what is it? It's like three or four different stages, essentially. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Um, because he's got like four vials of Adam as his like health bar. Yeah. Um, that you have to extract from him, and it's very like boss fight. It's like stage one, first form. Stage two, second form. Yeah. And on and on. Which is it's not bad. I'm not saying that it's a bad boss fight at the end. It's just if you've been even a little bit smart with how you use your atom or just like before you leave each air, before you leave each area just make sure you either harvest or save all the little sisters you're gonna have plenty to be able to fight them mm-hmm. and if you, if you just upgraded one weapon by the end of the game like all the way you're fine i mean at least it had a boss fight unlike we can't we can't get into this we can't get into this now brendan unlike a, it's a different podcast other, uh... it's a whole other podcast and we will have this fight then we will have this fight then <laughs> brendan is teasing the fact that me and him have very differing opinions on bioshock infinite and in that i think it's another masterpiece and brendan is wrong <laughs> wow <laughs> um in 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 so much that um <laughs> Jordan thinks that a game without a satisfying uh last boss fight is okay. And I think as long as the ending is satisfying and interesting, we're fine. Oh, so you agree with me then? <laughs> we can't do this here. <laughs> we can't get into this right now. 
Uh, keep listening, everybody, so that you can hear us argue about Bioshock Infinite sometime. Oh, it's going to happen. That is going to happen. We just can't do it here. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's all the time we have in the main quest, Jordan. Let's go to the bonus stage. Hey, everybody. So we've made it to the bonus round. Jordan, what do you have for us today? Today, I've got a fun new game that I'm calling Pitch Meeting. Basically, Brendan and myself will be taking turns as playing the big-time Hollywood producer as the other person pitches us their uh, cast and director for a Bioshock movie. I've gotten it down to where we're just casting the uh, four of the main characters from the game, so Jack, the main guy, um, Andrew Ryan, uh, Frank Fontaine slash Atlas, and uh, Bridget uh, Tenenbaum, and also giving us their idea for who a director is as well. So say that, could go either way, say that Brendan is pitching to me first, he gives me his ideas for what he thinks, and then uh, has to be open to me asking questions about why he picks certain people, be able to argue and counter anything, any problems that I have with the cast list and whatnot, and then just general discussions from there of what we think. Excellent, cool. So um, who would you like to have first be the one pitching their uh, cast and director? Um, I can go first if you want me to. Uh, sure, please. <laughs> okay, so... Um, and to explain a little bit, this this game uh, came to me uh, as this is something that I always end up doing in my own head when I play video games. It's like, okay, so in the movie adaptation, <laughs> who would I want to play this? Because I just, I want my, I want the dream cast and the dream director in my head to be real because video game movies often suck. So at least in my head, there's a version of the video game movie that is like That's really, really great. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll just start from the top um, and go for... Uh, no, I'll start with my director first, actually. Um, I went through a few options, and then I landed on that I think that Jordan Peele would make for a good director for this thing. Oh! His, especially with movies like Get Out and Us, he kind of lives in the world of the macabre, and with something like Us, um, even though it is set very much in our world, he is really, really good at working in a sort of, like, post-apocalyptic environment. Mm. And I think if you... Ha and, and is... A master when it comes to working within that world and making social commentary at the same time. Yes. So I feel like he would be a good take for something like that to be able to, in, in whether he's would be working the script or not, he'd be a good person to sort of help navigate an audience through that. Um, moving to my next one, um, let's go with our main character Jack. Mm -hmm. um, I, for him, I just kind of went through a list of options of actors that I really like right now. Because he is the silent protagonist in a video game, he doesn't have a lot established character-wise. He could kind of do whatever you want. And so I figured, since it's kind of an open book wherever you want to go for it, let's just go with this year's Sexiest Man Alive and just cast Michael B. Jordan. I mean, because, one, the man is a brilliant actor. He is an absolutely fantastic actor, and I love to watch, and I love watching him in anything he does. But just, you know, why not? Let's throw that guy in there. Um, okay. Okay. My next casting choice for would be uh, for Bridget uh, Tenenbaum, the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, I went through again, went through a few options there, and then ultimately decided. And this is the one that I f that I have the least strong argument for. It just feels right for me. I went Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. Yeah. Really? Tell yeah. me more. I just I don't know I don't know what it is. I I, I wrote down a few others. I had Diane Kruger. I had um, Mariana Cortillard. Uh, uh, Renee Goldsberry of Hamilton fame. Okay, yeah. Um, and just, I just, I don't know, for some reason, out of all those options, I just felt 
Daisy really just hit me the most for some reason. I don't know what, and I don't know specifically what it is. I think it's because throughout the, the main example for her to me, obviously would be the star Wars movies. And she just has a very, at least in her presence in that with, with like her interactions with like BB eight and some of the other um, characters in the movies and whatnot. She has a very nurturing side to her, but also something, but also a, can also represent a very cold and tough exterior as we mm-hmm. see in those movies too. Mm-hmm. So just something kind of hit me there with like that balance of Tenenbaum where it's like, there is, this is a woman who has had to herself has had to survive in rapture, but still has a caring side to her as well. And I feel like she'd be able to kind of play and dance within that. Very, very interesting choice that puts Tenenbaum much younger than like I would place the character. It does. And so, I thought about that too. How do you justify that? I mean, it's a movie. <laughs> We're casting it differently. <laughs> we just age her up. It's fine. We'll get We're it in just, post. You know, <laughs> there's nothing in it that says that Tenenbaum has to be older. Uh, you're very right. <laughs> uh, who's your choice for, like, Andrew Ryan? Mm, I want to save Andrew Ryan for last. Oh, oh, I'm so that sorry. Was, that was, no, no, you're totally fine. Just that was my toughest choice on this oh, one. Okay, okay. Right. Uh, my next one for Frank Fontaine and Atlas, um, I eventually landed on Luke Evans. Okay. okay. Yeah. You know who that is, yeah? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> I just for for being able to do that transition from um from Atlas into Fontaine and have somebody who could sort of play a charming, much softer side within Atlas and kind of get the audience on their side, but then still be able to have that dark turn into Fontaine. Mm-hmm. And also was a physically intimidating presence as well (laughs) i kind of felt that luke evans kind of hit like all the tallies on that one because the other ones i had for that was i had colin farrell and james mcavoy oh okay Hmm. which are would be happy with would be great obviously would be totally happy with (laughs) any of them because they're brilliant actors but just like colin farrell i feel like wouldn't be able to handle the transition as well and mcavoy doesn't have the physical presence that luke evans has so I eventually landed on him because I was just like, the, I feel like he'd do well with that transition and just like his presence. He's just, he's like a six foot two, just like broad dude. I feel like he would just sort of have that commanding presence that mm. Fontaine would need. I hear ya. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And then... Andrew Ryan was so hard. <laughs> Andrew Ryan was so freaking hard. But it's just, it's another one sort of like with Tenenbaum. I just went with what spoke to me. Um, Joel Edgerton. Who? I was wondering if you didn't know who that was. So um, he's not, his name isn't super known, but he's one of those actors where once you catch him, you don't forget him. Um, I mean, uh, see... I mean, I'm a, I'm a big time Hollywood producer. <laughs> I know just who he ah, is. Oh yes, of course, Joel. But, uh, Joel, but, but why don't, why don't you tell the folks at home so that they know? <laughs> <laughs> um, He's in the, the last um, iteration of the great Gatsby. Um, He's the, okay. he's, 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 he's um, DiCaprio's rival. In that film, he's that other guy. The um, other guy. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, he wrote and directed this really interesting uh, thriller called The Gift a few years back. Um, I, I didn't think you had seen it. Um, and the last big one that I know that he did that I can remember was, did you ever see that Netflix movie, Bright? Um, that's the one with Will Smith and 
it's like a fantasy cop buddy cop kind of yeah 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 yeah, it's like a fantasy world set in like modern times i didn't watch it but i know what you're talking about fair enough well he he plays the uh will smith's like orc partner gotcha in that movie um he's a brilliant actor he's really really good he's got the right look for it and he's one of those i don't want to say like weird method but he's one of those like intense method actors who would like dive into like the voice and how Andrew Ryan carries himself and stuff like that. And just like, I, I, again, tough choice. Cause the other names I had down, I had Brian Cranston, Jeffrey Wright and Benedict Cumberbatch. That would be so great. <laughs> it would be again. No one I'd be mad at seeing. <laughs> no one I'd be uh, upset at seeing. I would love to see Benedict Cumberbatch. See that. Oh, that'd be so he great. would be so, <laughs> he would be so good. But I, again, if, if you look him up and you recognize your like 10, I feel like the look is perfect, and he would really dive in and get intense with that role. So then, uh, pitch to me, what is your, like, your concept for for this movie? Like... Pitch my concept. Yeah, like, you know, is it, like, do you film it, like, you know, like, like set in the, like, okay. Do you do it, like, a modern movie or do you set it like uh in the 50s you know like a 50s movie or something you know or do you do noir like what's your what's your concept tell me a concept kid where are you going (laughs) Uh, well i would say in all in all honesty you sort of adapt what what the game itself kind of does where it it takes that sort of old school setting it kind of makes you think it's gonna set it up in that way and kind of do what like an old like an old school like 1950s kind of like what you're joking around with with the producer character <laughs> um but then it just kind of hits you real raw <laughs> and gets very real really fast on you so i think that's the way that i would do it i would want to set up to where it's like it feels sort of like an old-timey film but then just like not real intense really brutal and just doesn't hold back any punches so yeah I like it, kid. I think I, I'll produce your movie. <laughs> Gee, thanks, mister. <laughs> I was supposed to be a Hollywood producer. <laughs> that was more just for the structure of, like, the game itself or, like, the excuse to be able to pitch it to somebody else on the podcast. <laughs> I did not. Nowhere in my notes does it say, Brendan, embody an old-timey fucking producer. Um, I didn't realize it said, Brendan, don't have fun. all right so any other questions any thoughts on my casting no i think that sounds great um i think everything sounds great and i especially love jordan peele as the choice for director i was just when you said that i was like oh yeah it makes sense right absolutely oh yeah the the, the other two i had down was (laughs) another one that i think makes perfect sense and what i would have had to argue way more on was um i had david fincher so um uh seven fight club oh okay yeah that kind of stuff and then i also put down taiko waititi <laughs> fair enough <laughs> uh well my choices were a little bit more uh, uh hold, completely on, hold, different. hold on hold on hold on since we're getting oh. into it let me all right kid tell me your story what you got what's your what's your pitch in here what's oh, your gee, movie? mr will i've got a real big idea for a big hollywood movie you see <laughs> See, it's this more fun when you play this along, isn't Jordan. How people have talked for like two hundred years. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> In all seriousness, so I'm sorry. Let me be a modern day producer. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, gee, uh, 
Um, Garrett, don't cut that. <laughs> he wasn't going to. I know. I'm just making sure. Okay, so Sorry, I'll start. Ahead, I'll ahead. start with my choice for director because I think this. Um, I think that he would tell the story really well, and that the um work on some of the more monstrous characters would be really cool. I chose Guillermo del Toro. That was another thought that I had too. I, totally I think it would be so so cool. I, mm-hmm. I just think it would be so. Because I mean, you know, all of the all of the work that he's done, just like those monsters would be so cool and mm-hmm. so visceral. Um, so I think he would be really, really good. I think he would tell the story too, and like like handling like the the narrative of like dropping the little bits of hints of of the storyline. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he would handle that really well. Um, for Jack, the main character, I chose, this is going to be a little, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I chose Chris Pine, um, cause he's like kind of, oh, pre- okay. kind of pretty, but like somewhat forgettable. Yeah. Oh, ouch. Damn. <laughs> I was like, like, I'm so on board. I love Chris Pine. And then you just fucking slammed him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think he's great. I do, but like when it comes down to it, just like yeah. Is this is this, is is this your statement on who is the more forgettable Chris in Hollywood? Is it him? Absolutely. Oh man, it's so fucked up. I love Chris Pine. Sorry about it. Um, um I think I think he would do great. I think he would handle everything fine. Um and like stunts and stuff and just mm. like just being that like kind of hero-y aspect i think it would be perfect okay uh for andrew ryan i chose i don't know if you know him but his name is richard coyle he's not been in i think anything that you've seen but if you've watched the chilling adventures of sabrina on netflix he play okay well he plays the the headmaster of the like witches school and he's okay. like a bad guy um very austere like slicked hair business like you know that kind of aspect um okay. and i thought he would just be perfect as andrew ryan uh for frank fontaine interesting choice i chose leonardo dicaprio i think he would handle both aspect very well and like okay I was thinking in terms yeah. of like, yeah. well, and walk with me. I was thinking in terms of like being somebody who hasn't played Bioshock and doesn't know the storyline, mm. getting completely won over by the Atlas character, only to be betrayed when he reveals himself to be Frank Fontaine. I was just like, ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I I thought that he would do it really, really well in both aspects mm-hmm. and totally went over the audience in the first half. So, okay. Yeah, I thought that was uh, I thought that was my best choice for that. Uh, for Bridget Tenenbaum, I'm gonna name an actress you probably don't know the name of, but you've seen her. Her name's Miranda Otto. That sounds familiar. Okay, so she plays again Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm sorry, but she plays Zelda Spellman, one of the ants. You would. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Okay. She's brilliant. She's amazing. She's great in like lots of stuff you've also probably seen her or you would know her better or the audience would probably know her better from uh lord of the rings she plays eowyn uh she has so uh, this is kind of why i brought up the question about the age of tenenbaum because 
you put her younger i put her as like an older female um i think miranda, I just when i cast i just took age out of the equation for it i think that miranda Otto would handle that um role really really gracefully oh um, she'd be brilliant yeah i i think that she would be wonderful um and then i have one more secret secret cast member that i've okay. thrown in okay. i wanted to cast sander cohen because what <gasps> that's a awesome okay jordan tell me you don't want to see the bioshock movie where sander cohen is played by nathan lane oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know i wanted something so much until just now god that's so good brendan god that's so good <laughs> I spent like all of my good choices on Nathan Lane and the rest were just fine. But like, come on. Could you that imagine? That's really, really good. That's perfect. <laughs> That's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think somewhere between, to sort of drop the Hollywood producer, I think somewhere between our two lists, we have a really good run for a Bioshock movie. I like I... your choice for Tenenbaum way more. I think Miranda Otto is a really, really good choice for that one. I do, unfortunately, have a concern for Del Toro as a director. Okay. And it's a small one, and it's just that he has particularly... Because you mentioned his like his work with like the monsters and the creatures within the world. Mm-hmm. He has a very specific look when mm-hmm. it comes to a lot of his stuff. Like You can see a creature in a movie and go... That is a Del Toro monster, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that would have been my only thing was that would be would would be if his own aesthetic would sort of take over the already established aesthetic of Bioshock. Uh, I see. That would be my saying. only concern, hmm. and it's a small one. It's a totally small one, but that would but that would be my only concern there with uh, Del Toro. Everything else there, I get. I also don't really. I looked up your guy you pitched for, um, Andrew Ryan, and I don't know him. He's got a good look for it though. Mm-hmm. I'll say he would have a perfect look for Andrew Ryan for sure. Mm-hmm. he's got a bit he, of a smarmy sort of like <laughs> yes yeah that's exact and that's exactly what it is he's totally smarmy and totally yeah. like sure of himself yeah anyways <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 yeah. no i like it though so it's a, i think it's a... i think between the two of us so jordan peele is director and guillermo yes. del toro is like executive producer <laughs> i think that's oh the... <laughs> god i mean you just pitched any movie i'll ever watch until the day that i die now <laughs> oh my god if uh, oh, 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 I'd watch it so fast. <laughs> My Little Pony the Movie, directed by Jordan Peele, produced by Del Toro. I'm in. <laughs> hey, everybody, that's all the time that we have for today. But for you, we want to know, what did you think of Bioshock? What were some of your favorite moments, some of your favorite characters? What plasmids did you roll with? Let us know about all of that. Did you go for the good ending, the bad ending? And how would you cast the movie version of Bioshock? Let us know in the comments or fire off an email to us. You can also let us know if you have any ideas for future concepts or games that we should talk about. You can send us an email at 3bopodcastteam at gmail.com to give us your ideas. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 3bopodcast. Make sure you comment, like, subscribe to our show, and we'll see you next time. Bye!